from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The Cooler, your weekly dose of pop culture commentary. Today we're talking about all the WTF moments from Fuller House, the reboot of Full House, which I watched every episode of in three days. Of course you did. Of course. (laughs) It was my duty. We're also going to talk about being pretentious and why it's a very good thing. Hmm. Imagine that. And I'm going to ask for your advice with my little, quote, reality, in quote, situation. Oh. Hmm. Advice column. Reality starting bites. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What Carly said. That yeah. was better. So let's start with Fuller House. Because mm-hmm. it's so important. Never seen Full House. Ever. We didn't get it. Oh, you never saw the Full House? No, no, no. Oh, we boy. had like the diet of kind of American exported TV, but Full House was just never included in those exports. How rude. How rude. So imagine my surprise when I turn up to San Francisco five years ago, relocating, and everyone refers to Alamo Square as the Full House place. I had no idea what they were talking about. Should we sing the theme song for Carly? I don't I can even start. know if I know the theme song. So the theme tune is the thank you for being a friend. That's it, right? No, that's Golden <laughs> Girls, girl. I'm just playing with you. <laughs> we already sang that on episode one, <laughs> I believe. Okay, okay, I need to set you both straight. It goes... Everywhere you look, everywhere's a heart, is a heart, a hand to hold on to. Everywhere you look, everywhere is a face of somebody who needs you. When you're lost out there and you're all alone, lion is waiting to carry you home. This is wonderful. Anywhere you look. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, number one, I loved the little guttural kind of, uh, you did there. Yeah, I just Very brought Kanye. it all out. Loved it. Number two, uh, nope, never heard of it. <laughs> that brought me back to TGIF vibes, though. Yes, so that brings me to my point of how important this reboot is to some people. It mm-hmm. takes you back to being a child in front of TV every Friday night watching Full House. It's a sugary, cheesy family sitcom. It's corny and embarrassing, and that's exactly what the reboot is. And a lot of people are writing pieces online like, oh, it did not meet my standards and it's not very good. And it's like, what did you expect? The original wasn't very good. Mm, Okay, as much as I loved Full House, I did not watch the reboot, so I need you to fill me in. Okay, I wrote a post for KQD Pop called Every Single WTF Moment from the Fuller House Reboot. Oh, wow, you break it down. And I have some of them here for you today. Hello. Not all, because there's too many to go over. Too many. Okay, so first WTF moment I have for you. Someone accidentally, while changing a baby, wraps their cell phone into the diaper. Oh, Oh But then someone calls, as people do. Scat humor. And she has to hold the baby's butt to her ear. The baby is a telephone. Yeah. She talks to her sister through the diaper. And, of course, the baby farts. (gasps) 
And then there's a butt dial joke. Oh, hysterical. So many questions. How do you answer a call when it's in a diaper? This she sounds... just like slapped the baby's butt and then it turned on. And then she did the same when it was off. It was ridiculous. This sounds a lot like that episode of Friends where uh, Chandler and Joey leave Ross's baby on the bus. <laughs> That's great. And then he has the stamp on his diaper of like property of New York City or something. Yes. That's a good one. Okay. Next WTF moment. Mm-hmm. The Good One Night Club. Macy. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, okay. That's enough for you? Yeah, that's enough. A San Francisco nightclub. Yeah. That's fun. And Macy Gray shows up <gasps> as I Macy Gray. I tried I choke. Hey. Mm. I was just talking and about her last week. Macy, thanks for dropping by. She just left, though. Isn't that weird? She popped in, <laughs> sang, <laughs> and left. So what's she doing? That's Make what she does. Making San Francisco now? Well, she was a friend of Stephanie, the middle child, because they rode an elephant in Cambodia together after like a rave or something. Literally, this is real. And Macy Gray says the following things. She has like four lines. Oh, These hello. are three of them. Number one. Oh, I'm crazy for Swayze. <laughs> Wait, pa- she's talking about Patrick? Exactly. I'm into it. Because, of course, there is a whole choreographed segment around the Dirty Dancing sequence. Mm. And someone oh. lifts someone else. It's the whole thing. Of course. Second quote. And the winner is these two luscious lesbians. But then mid-scene, Macy Gray looks around her and realizes that she's on Fuller House. And she's better than this. And she says the following. What am I doing here? I want a Grammy. And then oh the scene God. like ends. So much of this is self-referential to... The previous show, they'll, like, use old footage to, like, really drive the point home. But also, they'll make fun of, like, oh, it's because she's a child actress. And then they'll look at the... Like, wink, the, wink, They'll nudge, break nudge. the fourth wall. And they do the same when mentioning Michelle's absence, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's absence. Ah. They say, oh, where's my kid sister Michelle? And then the dad says, oh, she's really busy in New York doing her fashion thing. She's too busy to be here. And then they all look at the camera and are like, really good. Get it. So it's very like House of Cards, break the fourth wall. Yes. Okay. Excuse me, Mm -hmm. sir. I have a question about the homework. Um, This sounds a lot to me like the reboot of The X-Files, which we did discuss in a previous Um. episode, where it's become very self-referential. They kind of, or almost, it's kind of a parody of the previous seasons and I'm wondering now whether this is a trend for bringing back old shows that people still hold dear whether the makers feel that they cannot do it sincerely and genuinely Hmm. because to the outsider this is what this sounds like yeah and that's what it is that's the only question I had about the homeworks (laughs) (laughs) it's appealing to the millennials and our nostalgia it's stroking our or like the strings of our nostalgia. But it is. It's a way to engage without being like sincere about it and mm-hmm. without worrying that you'll look silly for being too enthusiastic. It's like, oh, watch this show that you used to love, but don't worry, it's still kooky and crazy. Mm. I resent that. I really do. <laughs> you offended. I, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we are I turned offended. off an episode of The New X-Files because Ooh. I was offended. Mm, you hear that? Was Mulder like, and Scully? trample all over my dreams, David Duchovny. <laughs> well, I told you I can't even do it because I keep hearing bad reviews and I want to hold on to my don't do memories. it. I yes. spent so much of my parents' dial-up watching old <laughs> X-Files. So they owe me, all right? News bulletin, Carly's 30. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, both of those, the X-Files and Fuller House and things like it, explored the limits of nostalgia. We want these things back. I was one of the people who was trumpeting the return of this. Exactly. I was excited for it to come back and I was excited to watch it, but it really underlined the limits of feeling good about something from the past. We have to recognize that most of that feeling comes from missing our childhoods and not about the content. It always was a kind of corny bad show and it still is. 
And that's not going to change just because they brought it back in modern times. Look forward, don't look back. So what's your grade? Like, did you enjoy it? So many people are so hard on it, like I said earlier, on the internet about the show and like really mean reviews. And I will say I was thoroughly entertained. It was so farcical that it's beyond considering it good art or anything like that. Obviously, it's not. But does it keep you entertained in how bad it is? It certainly did that for me. I watched the 13 episodes in three days, there whatever it was. There are 13 episodes. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my gosh. And I watched every single one. Every one. So back to the WTF moments. You're not getting out of this. No. <laughs> no. No. This okay. is like when you go around to someone's house and they start telling you uh, family intrigue about people that you have no idea who they are. You're like, oh. mm, this is really interesting. Mm, mm, not. Yeah, interesting. But do carry on. They pull up Okay, you might like this yeah. next one. Stephanie is rewarded with one of Iggy Azalea's hair extensions. Mm-mm. No, no. By Iggy Azalea herself. No, she oh, she's on it? She's not, but she off screen. Iggy Azalea was at Coachella with Stephanie. Stop. And Stephanie helped her find a contact lens that fell out of Iggy Azalea's eye. And to reward her, Iggy gave her one of her hair extensions, which Stephanie puts in her hair. This is like a cheese dream. This really is. It's like someone just munched down a load of cheddar, fell asleep, and had a bizarre cheese dream. At what point in the continuum of life is someone giving you their extensions a reward in any way? Catch up, Jamidra. This happens... I don't, Hi, GGY. I, don't, I don't want your weave. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want your weave. That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> I don't Front want and back, just in case they, they move around. <laughs> as I can tell, you are not as interested in my WTF moments. So I will move on to quotes that are said in this show that are ridiculous. Starting with someone explaining that they can't have any more kids. Is it weird. me? <laughs> can't and won't. Jamidria no longer wants to have children. Great. Got enough. Okay, this quote is Uncle Jesse John Stamos saying, You know that ship has sailed. It sunk. All seamen lost. Oh. oh. This is a family program. All Gosh. seamen lost. Thanks for repeating it. Yes. Um, also, side note, um, because, like I say, I do know, like, ancillary details about Full House, John Stamos's character was called Uncle Jesse. For 10 years, for the last 10 years, I have thought that John Stamos was also the guy who sings Jesse's Girl. <laughs> you know, I wish I had Just Jesse's Girl. girl. Who has it? Rick Springfield. Well, what's crazy is Uncle Jesse is a musician with Jesse and the Rippers. <gasps> which is a band within the show. And he sings a lot in this show, and so does Stephanie. So it's I'm not, not surprised. Confusion. Yeah, I'm not surprised you got that messed up. Every time Jesse's girl came on the radio, I was like, oh, it's the guy. Full House's impact. Oh, Jesse, right there. Okay, second quote. Someone's contemplating changing in an Uber. Quote, what if Uber sees my boobers? Oh. That's not a real quote from the show. Somebody did not write that down. Someone was paid for that no. line. No, they didn't. Real thing. Okay, next quote. A middle school age kid comes downstairs in the morning and says the following, to which Stephanie says, ill TMI. Quote, I was up all night erupting my volcano. Oh. But he meant a literal volcano that was for a project, but for the adults, it means something else. That sounds very sexualized. Okay, my last quote. Because they're so white, they needed to get some diversity in there. Hashtag Fool House so white. So they tried to make hashtag Fuller House not so white. Okay. So they, one of the characters has married 
a man named Fernando, and he has the worst accent ever. He's like Hank Azaria from The Birdcage, just like oh. that level of just playing it up. Hank Azaria is like a multiple offender for slightly offensive accents. The Simpsons. Apu in The Simpsons, yes. not even slightly oh, offensive. No. I'll just go straight to very. One of these characters marries Fernando and has a now teen daughter who is half Latina, and she never misses an opportunity to let you know she's Latina. Latina. And so she calls the Full House family albino polar bears drinking milk in a snowstorm watching Frozen. Bloop. Wow, that's a lot of... That's a lot of, that's a lot of white. Yeah. So in, in an attempt to rectify all of that whiteness, she is forced to say things like, quote, Sarah ate some bad pollo and her butt went loco. Oh. No, um, no. And this happened at a Mexican wrestling competition. Mm, of course. So, yeah, take a drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes take a we drink, that. guys. I had to take a sip after that one. Sometimes so, you drink water and tea because it's really important to stay hydrated. Exactly what, what I Emmanuel's meant. trying to say. We'll go with that. So, all of this to say, it is a big WTF, this show. And it's embarrassing and corny, just like the original, which is what I wanted. And a lot of people are upset. And I'm happy that I have something to laugh at for the next couple months. Great. Good for you. (laughs) So in summary, good for me. Good for you. Cheers to Fuller House. Cheers to Fuller House. Cheers to (laughs) Stephanie, who's the best. Middle children represent. So, my friends, do you remember that... Back in 2015, we had quite an interesting discussion about being a snob. Mm-hmm. Well, I do. Way, way back into time. Way in back in the day. In ye old, Ye old in time. In the days of yore, we discussed what snobbery is, like whether it's a good thing, it's a bad thing, whether it actually like revitalizes you and it keeps you looking for like the next thing and you shouldn't be apologetic. I want to discuss snobbery part two, pretentiousness. And I didn't come up with this idea on my own. I read an article from The Guardian called In Defense of Pretentiousness by a writer called Dan Fox, who is also just publishing a book called Pretentiousness, Why It Matters. And I thought, this is exactly what we discussed in our snobbery discussion. And I think that pretension and snobbery are a little bit different because pretentiousness is like an accusation that you hurl at people right it's a negative and as this guy dan fox says in the article that i believe is an extract from his book you never self-identify as being pretentious it's always something that you put on other people ah that's a good point you never say uh, well you will say in a joking way like i'm a film snob but you're not going to say like i'm pretentious yeah you would never say oh i'm so pretentious right or you would but in an exceptionally self-deprecating way like you wouldn't want anyone to think you were apt absolutely serious about being pretentious Mm -hmm. because it is a bad thing especially when it comes to pop culture it's a really easy way as this writer says in the article of like shutting a conversation down in the same way that saying that something offends you can really just stifle and like stop the conversation calling something pretentious pretty much does exactly the same thing but I know that you guys were interested in this one thing that comes up in this article about how pretentiousness or calling something pretentious is actually saying to people, stay in your lane. It's a really limiting, almost like oppressive thing 
to accuse someone of. And in this post, it actually talks about how calling someone pretentious is saying, stop trying to step outside your class. Now things are interesting. Which is pretty big to accuse someone of. Stay where you are. Stop trying to have ideas above your station. We're getting into some Downton Abbey type of stuff right here. uh, This is why I thought you'd enjoy this. Sample quote from the article. The horror that class migration evokes in people is almost tribal, as if it is a disavowal of your family and friends. To suggest a person is pretentious is to say that they're behaving in ways they're not qualified for through experience or economic status. Interesting. Wow. I had no idea it was so loaded because I call things pretentious all the time. I think the last time I called something pretentious that I can think of, I'm sure I've said it many more times uh, than I, my memory will let me recall. But I think the one that comes to mind is, forgive me, Queen Bee, the title press conference. Do you remember that? When Jay-Z came out and Rihanna came out. And oh, that, yes. I think that was the last thing that I was just very much like... Wait a minute. So for folks who aren't aware, you're talking about the title service that was kind of Jay-Z's rival to Spotify, right? Right, right. And now and now, I mean, I've and I still sorry, I still haven't subscribed and I was having feelings about Don't it. Don't be sorry. I was having feelings <laughs> about it. But um that was probably the last time that I thought about like, wait a minute. Like you're artists and you make a in my from my perspective, you make a boatload of money. And you're having this conference that was very sort of like we are the world. And I, I thought that w- – I considered that pretentious. Ah, Especially because of how self-serving it was. It wasn't helping anyone's life. They weren't dropping packages of food onto a refugee camp. They were creating, NATO. <laughs> they were creating a situation where they get more control over their music, which is good in its own way. As artists, they need to don't spin it that so, much. Yeah. Wait, so that's why it's pretentious to you because it was literally a pretense that they were trying to achieve something that actually wasn't true. Like we're trying to set up this music service that's going to change the world and affect change when it's actually just a way for like Jay-Z and Rihanna to make bank. In my mind, I associate pretentious to break it all the way down. Whenever I use the word pretentious, it's usually accompanied in my head with the quote, who the f*** do you think <laughs> you Stay are? in your lane. So one person that I think, and forgive me if he ever appears on the show, Uh-oh. is pretentious and kind of embodies this idea of pretension, like being something you're not. Emmanuel's giving me the horror, the horror eyes. Here we go. It's going to be James, James Franco. Franco. Yeah, I knew <laughs> Who we've discussed on a previous episode. Poor James. Poor James. That he is always trying to be something he is not. And that's that's just a factual statement. He's trying to be a professor when he is not a professor. He's an actor. He's trying to be an artist when he is not an artist. He is an actor. And so that's to me what it means. That kind of... I don't want to say inauthenticity because maybe he is a great artist and we just haven't had a chance to find out. What I'll say about that in defense of James Franco is we know him to be an actor, but he might be all these other things. We just refuse to let him be great at those things because we're pigeonholing him and saying, stay in your lane. Let James Franco be great. Free the Franco one. Yes. So I was trying to think of the last time I had called something pretentious and I couldn't come up with anything, but I did think of the last time I felt like other people would call me pretentious. Oh, when was this? Break it down. Okay. 
I was on a bus. It was 1997. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, why, why do I feel like there's a harp and there's fog that's coming in? Very Fuller House. It's the dry ice machine. <laughs> Anytime I'm reading something that is published more than 50 years ago mm-hmm. and I'm holding it, I am very aware that people seeing that might think that I'm like displaying it, especially on public transit. It's like, oh. look at what I'm reading. And I happen to love Virginia Woolf. And she is seen as very intellectual, academic type of reading. And like, who would want to read that for pleasure? I do. You would. I think her sentences are amazing. One of those sentences could be turned into a whole novel. I love it so much. The run-ons that keep on giving. Yes. And when I'm carting this around, I like turn it face towards my body so people don't think that I'm like, look at how smart and educated I am. And I'm definitely aware of it. I feel like everyone should be allowed to be interested in whatever they're into, whether it's a subtitled film, whether it's a Virginia Woolf novel, whether it's something from like medieval time, Canterbury Tales. Like, do you? And You do you, Chaucer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we shouldn't be the ones policing other people's interests. Like, focus on your own interests and being interesting. How about that? So you are not necessarily hurling the pretentious. You are, in fact, sir... The pretentee. Mm. I'm the victim <laughs> of pretensor. Whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, I mean, we've talked about it before the whole like talking about guilty pleasures, and mm. I don't really subscribe to that. I also just don't feel like I should have to explain why I watch Fuller House or why I read a Virginia Woolf novel or why I go to a Taylor Swift concert with a bunch of 13 year olds. That's my business. You focus on the concerts you go to and the novels you read and the things you watch. To quote one of our best R&B dancers, singers, gumbo hairstyle, cut wearers, Bobby Brown. Oh, God. Didn't know where you were going with that. It's my prerogative. (gasps) It's my prerogative. Yes. I think also, again, to make my second Friends reference of the episode being very current as I am, this was perfectly crystallized in the episode where they have the quiz, the the trivia to win the apartment, and they ask what Rachel's favorite film is and what she tells people it is and what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what they know that she always says her favorite film is? Mm-mm. Like Pride and Prejudice? It was like Dangerous Liaisons. Oh. When her mm. actual favorite film is... Sleepless in Seattle? Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so like Rachel, do you guys have a film that you maybe would say is your fave, oh, but you have I a secret I knew you were going to do this. Oh. I mean, neither of the examples are entirely accurate, but this is always the example my husband uses to shame me about this very topic because he says that I will tell people my favorite film is Amadeus, which I love, Mm -hmm. but it's actually Wayne's World (laughs) 2. And it's not quite accurate, but it's pretty much there. That's the scope. I love both. Carly revealed. Jamita? So in dinner parties, not that I've been to many dinner parties, but in dinner parties, if we're talking about literature, I will usually say that my favorite book is something written by Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, the book that I will read over and over again is The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Okay. <laughs> no shame. But no shame. Know, but in most dinner parties, people were like, huh? So own it. Yep. How about you, Emmanuel? <laughs> For movies, I might say, you know, there's this great movie. It's called Spirit of the Beehive, <laughs> released in 1973. <laughs> about 1940s, picture it, Spain. 
Ooh, picture Ooh. it, picture it. Another Franco. Franco. Yeah. Bringing it back. Yeah. Just won the Spanish Civil War. Mm. And these two children wander the countryside looking for Frankenstein because they just saw the film in their village during really tumultuous times. Mm, very beautiful. It's film. very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Meaningful, poignant. Real favorite movie is, duh, Clueless. Oh, <laughs> As if it was Spirit of the Beehive. As if it was. Um, yeah, there's no getting around that. And I yeah. I rarely will cover that up. I'm so proud of my mm-hmm. clueless fandom. I will always say that. But if I were to be pretentious and say something else, I would say The Spirit of the Beehive or a Czech film called Daisies, which is about excess in our culture. So in short, own what you love. Never apologize for it. If it's highfalutin, don't apologize. If it's lowbrow, never apologize. And just be happy and be kind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys. So I have a little bit of a confession to make. Oh, what did confess. you do? I think... That I may be over reality TV. You and the rest of the world, Ooh, love. Really? Yeah. Can I just say, Miss used to watch Real Housewives oh. of Atlanta is saying these words. See, Emmanuel knows. Like, I, I know too much. Yeah, yeah. I have <laughs> been obsessed with all of reality TV for a really long time. I didn't know you loved it so much. Uh, everything from Real Housewives franchise with Andy Cohen, who is essentially like a cousin to me at this point because we have <laughs> spent so much time together. Yes. Um, all the way down to like Vanderpump Rules. Oh, oh you're going God. deep. Just Marriage the first year. There's hotlines you can call about this <laughs> stuff. There's people on the end of the phone that can offer the you The Bad advice. Girls Club, the um, Basketball Wives, the Love and Hip Hops, like all of them I have watched for years. And recently I saw something come to my Facebook feed, an article written by Dom Jones for Blavity titled, quote, divesting from the reality show movement, end quote. And I, before I even read it, I was like, that's me. So for a while, I've just sort of been moving slowly away from reality television, moving to like scripted dramas. I've been all about like the scandals and the Better Call Sauls and the Netflix series and all of that. And I was like, what's happening to me? Am I getting old? There used to be a time. When I was watching The Real World and I was all about it and my mom and and all the older adults thought it was ridiculous and I was just like, you know, this is something for me. It made me feel young. But now I'm just, I'm kind of over it. Part of me sort of pulling away from reality TV has been that it used to be reality television. It was sort of like a documentary. I was just going to say that what it sounds like is that reality TV has gotten so exaggerated and formulaic and scripted that you are craving authenticity so i think you have to start watching documentaries right so now i'm You're like that old now i'm like obsessed <laughs> with serial hello frontline making a murderer now i'm just like give me the real stuff like I if i want the re- the reality give me the real stuff and i'm wondering if like there's not an effect on us as adults when we watch all this reality television. Like, I, I can say personally that when I was on maternity leave, I watched a, a marathon of Bad Girls Club. <laughs> and um, I was really aggressive after. One of our coworkers and friends who shall remain nameless to protect her identity mm-hmm. 
says that because of Real Housewives, she comes to work and sometimes catches herself in a moment where she's getting into a, quote, Real Housewives moment. And she's like, whoa, this is not that deep or serious, but I'm Oh, she has the music in her head. Yeah, if you're inundated with images of grown women popping off at each other for no real good reason, that might affect your behavior. I know the person that you're talking about yes. because this is my ah, real house. Hey. This is my real housewives buddy that we that I just talk with. Um, so Dom Jones has specific reasons for divesting from reality TV, mainly for the way black women are portrayed in Real Housewives and a lot of the other franchises. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like Love and Hip Hop or Basketball. I Wise. have not. It is literally like, let me just set the picture for you. I'm with a guy. We have kids. He's cheating on me. I'm oh. fighting with his mistress. I'm fighting with every woman in within five feet of me. Ah. I am yelling. I am arguing. I am throwing bottles. It's just angry black woman to the second power, right? And so Dom Jones, in this piece for Blavity, specifically said that she is divesting from reality TV because she is tired of sort of like these images being bombarded at her all the time. These stereotypes. Um, And so she's moving away from it. And so I have those reasons for it. But also, like, what about the idea that women can't have viable friendships and relationships mm. with other women. I feel like every reality television show that I've watched, there's always been an element of cattiness that I personally have never experienced in my real adult mm. life. The conflict and the competition, right. like, like as a given. Who does that? And so the longer we continue to watch these shows and support these shows, like what effect is that having on us as adults? A huge one, I would say. I mean, whenever I catch an episode of Kardashians, they're always at each other's throats. It's hitting women against women. And I know that's a frequent topic on this podcast, but we say it all the time and it stinks and it has to stop. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said she's just put her foot down. My foot well, is going right down. down. In defense of the Kardashians, you know I have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seen I'm episode. They do bicker as sisters do and as brothers and sisters do. Siblings just happen to fight because there's a lot of material there mm-hmm. of like layers and layers of years like, and years of insult. But at the end of the day, they always come back to the point of we always are going to support each other and we're in each other's team. A lot of the reality shows you're talking about definitely issues with those and they do affect our behavior in negative ways. But there are reality shows that do good things for your psyche. Okay, like And that. I'll give you one. Okay. You might fight me on this. All right, I'm listening. Project Runway. Okay. Junior. I will give you. Junior. I will, I will give you all the Project Runways because I am a fan of Project Runway because I think there is some talent being exhibited there. Let me tell you about Junior in specific detail. I watched it recently. I was kind of wary of a reality show that's about young children. Because mm-hmm. like, where did, where's the line? Rightly so, I would say. Where's the line? Where do we draw the line? And... The way they handled it was so great. Basically, a bunch of teenagers who are kind of outcasts in their normal lives because they're into things that their cohorts are not into. Mm -hmm. They like designing. And for the boys specifically, like, you know, that's gay. So they're outcasts. And the girls also felt a sort of kinship with all these castmates. And they're all so supportive of each other and would cry when anyone would get sent home and would help each other. And it was just like... Well, like-minded people coming together and supporting each other, it's exactly what that is. And without any of the competitive, we're here to fight with each other Mm. as adults and, like, further our, quote, brand, these are just kids doing great things at a young age and supporting other people who are trying to do the same as well. Isn't this the exception to the reality TV show rule? Yeah, I think it is an exception. And 
I think that's my point that like as a whole, the direction it's going into is scary, but there are still some little glimmers. So you don't have to give up reality TV as a whole. Just find the ones that don't make you feel like crap at the end of the day. You think there's hope for me? I think there's hope. Start with Project Runway Junior. And, and work my way yes. back into the fold. So we end every episode with a song. This week's song is by Petit Noir. Oh. That's French, guys. Oh, get you. Mm-hmm. His name is Yannick Ulanga. He is half Congolese and half Angolan, and he was brought up in South Africa. And he has just a style of music that I haven't heard in a long time where it infuses African rhythms with R&B touches. He says one of his biggest inspirations is Kanye. Ooh. who he discovered when he was 16. So he has a song called Best. Mm-hmm. And I must say, it is the best thing I've heard in a while. Gosh. And you can hear said song in others March 23rd at the rickshaw stop here in San Francisco. Oh, you're All doing right. his PR now? Yeah. Cool. I have a side hustle. Le PR. He has been recruited. He is on the team. Le side hustle. <laughs> the hustle du side. Exactly. So here's a little bit of Best. I hope you guys like it. If you don't, I'm pretentious enough to say that you have bad taste. Well, we have some thanks to give. David Marcus, thanks for always repping for us and giving us booze sometimes. Jeez. Always, always. Oh, giving us praise and tips. I meant praise, booze. not booze. Shout out to Monte Carlos and Howard Gelman behind the glass. Mm-hmm. Making us sound as great as they do. Thanks, guys. And who gave us our music? Carolyn Pennybacker Riggs. Right. Best theme song ever. And recently helping edit Jay Simpson. Thanks for making me more sane. Thank you. Bye. Bye.